Welcome to Live, Laugh, Talk. I'm your host, James Graham. And it is such a privilege and a joy to be here with you today. In this episode, we will begin with the topic entitled, Can You Love Someone Like Them? Then we will transition to our segment, How Did We Get Here? Followed by our hobbies and special interest section, and then conclude with our sunflower message. And that's our happy note for the day. Do you have something that you would like to talk about? Maybe it's a fresh idea. In addition to that, maybe you'd like to be a guest on the podcast. You know we love our fans. We love our listeners. So we want to hear from you. Let us know at admin at livelaughtalk.com. That's admin at livelaughtalk.com. We can get you on the show if you'd like to show up personally. And we can also take your ideas, as we often do, and use them for our special hobbies and interests and other segments. And we will give you the credit if you'd like to, to have that as well. We don't mind sharing the love. In addition, if you're listening on Spotify, please go on and comment, participate in the poll. You can also leave a voice memo about your feelings for the show or some ideas as well. In addition, wherever you listen to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, it could even be Good Pods, TuneIn, doesn't matter. We're on all of the podcast sites. Make sure that you follow us so that you're notified of the new episodes when they're released. In addition, don't forget about the swag. You can go to Etsy.com and search for How Did We Get Here? You'll see t-shirts, mugs, as well as tote bags. The topic that we will begin with is entitled, Can You Love Someone Like My father once told me, he said, blood makes you kin, love makes you family. Yes, it's entirely possible for people to love someone like family, even if they aren't related by blood. Examples of such are adoption and stepkids. Surely there is love that knows no bounds. And we have beautiful examples of those who have been adopted, such as Wendy of the famous Wendy's hamburger restaurants. Wendy was the adopted child. She was loved just like the rest of their children. And I know of families where there are stepfathers or stepmothers, but they don't call each other step this and step that. They call each other mother, father. They call that person their child and they raise them as such. No mention of step at all. In addition, many people form strong bonds with friends, partners, or even mentors that feel like family. Yes, love can transcend biological relationships and be based on emotional connections and shared experiences. Certainly, 
when people love someone like family, it often means they have developed a deep emotional connection that goes beyond mere friendship. This connection can be built on trust, shared values, and a sense of belonging. People may feel a sense of loyalty, support, and care for this person similar to what they would feel for a family member. They may celebrate together, offer each other help and guidance, and provide emotional support even during difficult times. It's important to note that the concept of family can vary greatly from one culture or individual to another. Some people may feel closer to their chosen family than to their biological relatives. And that's nothing strange. That's even biblical. It's mentioned in the scriptures that there exists a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The capacity to love someone like family demonstrates the richness and flexibility of human relationships and emotional connections. It can be manifested in various ways. There's unconditional support that can be given. Just as family members often provide unconditional support, those who love someone like family offer the same level of support, encouragement, and care. In some cases, people who aren't biologically related may share responsibilities akin to a family, such as co-parenting caring for aging loved ones, or managing finances together. These bonds can be as strong as family bonds, with individuals feeling comfortable sharing their deepest emotions and vulnerabilities. I have mentioned on this podcast that I was raised with an individual that I don't remember when we didn't know each other. We've known each other since we were infants. His name is Kevin. I don't call him a friend. I've never called him a friend. He's my brother. And I've felt this way my entire life. My family and his family have felt this way. As a matter of fact, he was mentioned in my mother's obituary as one of her adopted sons. It doesn't stop there. When I moved to another state, I was much younger, there was a family that took me in. They were like a mother and father to me. As a matter of fact, my biological mother and father were, were very happy that I had this relationship with them. It moved on to be such that eventually I began to call them mom and dad. And once, just by one beautiful arrangement, that family got a chance to be with my biological family, and even in the room with such, when I said mom or dad, each one knew who I was talking to, because that love was beautiful, and nobody felt jealous, well, you know, why are you calling this person over here, I'm your real, no, it was none of that. My parents were happy that their son being taken care of by actually people that just resembled them. They were truly 
a mother and a father to me. Black families, close-knit groups often develop their own traditions, rituals, inside jokes that, that strengthen their sense of togetherness. I know there's plenty of that with Kevin and the adopted mom and dad I told you about. With the, the, the parents, the other mom and dad that adopted me with while I was living in their state, and even much later, throughout the rest of their lives. We had our own tradition, and that was getting together on their wedding anniversary. That was a must. That was going to happen. You better put it on your calendar. It's going to take place. And we did. That was our tradition as a family. But you know what? In all honesty, without me ever saying anything about it to them, it mimicked the relationship I had with my biological mother and father. Because guess what we did? We got together on their wedding anniversary. I never told the other couple that, but to me, that traditions can be set up that even mimic those with your blood relatives. And just as families have a sense of permanence, loving someone like family often involves a long-term commitment to one another's well-being and happiness. When my brother was going through some, some physical ailments, I stayed in that hospital every day, sleeping on those uncomfortable sofas and chairs. I never left his side. And you know what his wife told the hospital staff that she was there as well? She said, well, we're going to need enough equipment for two. I'm his wife, and that's his brother. There was no, well, that's his friend. There, No. She identified the fact. We are brothers. Similar to how families work through disagreements, those who love like family often engage in open and honest communication to resolve conflicts and maintain harmony. They may uh, celebrate important events like we talked about before. They may be there for marriages, graduations, achievements, just as blood relatives do. I had a school teacher who was, who was much like my aunt. She was there when I was uh, in second grade, but she followed me throughout my lifetime. It doesn't matter what the important life event was. She was there throughout the remainder of her life. I miss her. So she was like an aunt to me. Ultimately, loving someone like family is a testament to the capacity of human relationships to provide emotional, social support. It shows that family can be both a biological one and a chosen bond based on love, care, and mutual respect. There are a few more aspects to consider when it comes to loving someone like family. Some individuals may have strained relationships with their biological families or have experienced trauma. In such cases, they may create a chosen family by surrounding themselves with close friends or supportive individuals who provide the love and care they need. I know of a person this way. She has a relationship with her biological father that's strained. 
So she doesn't even call her biological dad. She calls the man who raised her dad. That is her father to her. People who love like family often play significant roles in each other's lives. We mentioned being there at weddings and other type of celebrations. Some even become godparents to each other's children or support each other during illnesses. Sometimes loving someone that's not a biological can form strong bonds across generations. For example, that person may become a mentor, a parent figure, a grandparent figure, passing down knowledge, values, and life lessons. Just as blood members may share a financial burden, caregiving responsibilities, Chosen family members may step in to help support each other as well in times of need, providing a safety net of support. Cultural, ethnic communities often place a strong emphasis on collective identity and support, making it common for individuals within these groups to love each other like family, even if they aren't related by blood. And like I say they may call each other brother, aunt, a mom, or dad because they love that person just that much. In essence, this highlights the capacity for deep emotional connections, deep care and love, and commitment that can exist outside of traditional family structure. It literally enriches the lives of those involved. Loving someone like family is a profound expression of emotional connection, emotional support that has nothing to do with blood. It involves shared responsibilities, as we've mentioned. It involves being there for each other's well-being. This very concept often leads to the formation of chosen families, we'll call them, where individuals surround themselves with close friends or supportive figures who provide the love and care traditionally associated with family members that are chosen by blood. Yes, these family members often play significant they're there through milestones. They share burdens. They create a rich and diverse tapestry of human relationships that enrich lives. And if you've had such a relationship, surely you have been rewarded by having someone like this in your life. And to quote my father one more time, blood makes you kin. Love makes you family. What is sexting? Sexting is defined as sending 
sexually explicit image of oneself over text message. Sexting can include sending only, receiving only, or reciprocal. Sending and receiving. It's quite prevalent in the United States. This year alone, in a survey, around 77% of respondents to this survey, aged 19 years and older, have sent a sext in the United States. While around 88% has received a sext. A study on sexting among youths, those younger than 19, found these statistics. 19.3 had sent a sext, 34.8% had received a sext, 14.5% had forwarded a sext without consent. So despite what adults believe, young people sharing nudes is not endemic. It is most prevalent among those 15 and older with 17% saying they had shared a nude, a sexual photo of themselves. This increases in the mid-teens, from 4% at age 13 to 7% at age 14 saying they've done the same thing. Yes, we have people age 13 and 14 who are sexting each other. Teenage girls have a few reasons for why they participate in sexting. 40% say they do it as a joke. 34% do it to feel sexy. And 12% feel pressured to do it. Who will you see when you receive these sex? That's the problem. Because as mentioned, Some of these folks are well under age. 17% of sexters share the messages they receive with others. And 55% of those share them with more than one person. While nearly 70% of teen boys and girls who sex do so with their girlfriend or boyfriend. 61% of all sexters who have sent nude images admit they were pressured to do it at least once. Nearly 40% of all teenagers have posted or sent sexually suggestive messages, but this practice is more common among boys than girls. Sending semi-nude or nude photos is more common among teen girls. 22% of teen girls report sending images of this nature, where only 18% of the same age boys have. 15% of teens who have sent or posted nude or semi-nude images of themselves send these messages to people they have never met, but they know them from the internet. Sending or receiving a sexually suggestive text or image under the age of 18, is considered child pornography and can result in criminal charges. 
24% of high school age teens, 14 to 17, and 33% of college age students, 18 to 24, have been involved in a form of nude sexting. Sexting is defined by the U.S. court system as an act of sending sexually explicit materials through mobile phones. And these messages may be a text, photo, or video. In the U.S., eight states have enacted bills to protect minors from sexting. And an additional 13 states have proposed bills to legislation. Still, that's only 21 states. We have 50. 11% of teen girls aged 13 to 16 have been involved with sending or receiving sexually explicit messages. And what's the result of this? Well, it may cause emotional distress. The sharing of inappropriate content can lead to negative comments and bullying, which can be very upsetting. Additionally, sharing naked or almost naked pictures of someone is a form of on, online child-on-child child abuse when done between those teenagers under 18. It could also affect your child's reputation. Explicit content can spread very quickly over the Internet. This may result in different treatment at school and in their community, both now and in the future. It could also affect their education and employment prospects as online reputation tends to stay around longer. However, if your child's nude images end up online, please report them to the Internet Watch Foundation. That's the Internet Watch Foundation to get them removed. Remember that any nude image under of people under the age of 18 is considered abuse, regardless of the content. When children engage in sexting, they're creating an indecent image of a person under the age of 18, which, even if they take it themselves, is still against the law. That's why we're breaking this down, because it's not enough to just say, oh, sexting and this. we got to talk about the distribution of who's taking the picture. All of that is still against the law. And if one we mentioned earlier, that 55%, Share these pictures with somebody else. Well, if you're distributing an indecent image of a child, maybe you're sending it by text, that's also illegal. But you see, because children might not be prosecuted of a first offense of this, sometimes it just gets shoved under the rug. It happens. But you know what? You're still on the police radar, and they might want to investigate further. And there's no erasing these things off of your devices. You can go in and try to erase it. If they confiscate that device, oh, they'll find it. They'll find it, and they'll prosecute it. In addition, a new study has shown that sexting was associated with depression, anxiety, and sleep problems. Also, compulsive sexual behavior. Uh, Dr. Borgogna 
from Texas Tech University and his co-authors found that participants in a study they did, these ones who had only sent but not received sex reported more depression, anxiety, and sleep problems than the other groups that had not. They also reported a possible connection between sexting, marijuana use, and compulsive sexual behavior. Sexual behavior excuse me. While sexting may not necessarily be a, a casual factor of negative mental and health outcomes, they say, or substance abuse, some meaningful co-variation clearly exists, stated these investigators. So when we get to these staggering statistics that we talked about, and we get to the point that these are not folks involved in a relationship, they're older people, and they just want to turn on their mate, we're talking about ones who are as young as the age of 13, practicing and participating in sexting to a great number. We have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? Bicycling is our hobby, our special interest today. And it can be rewarding for several reasons. One, it's an excellent way to stay active and improve your cardiovascular health. It's also eco-friendly, emitting no pollutants and reducing your carbon footprint. Compared to many other hobbies, cycling is relatively inexpensive once you have a bike. Now, those bikes can get pricey, but you don't have to start out on the expensive end. You don't have to go get a Cadillac first just to enjoy it. You can explore your surroundings discover new places and scenic routes. There's also group rides and clubs that can provide a sense of community and new friendships. I found cycling outdoors to be a great way for me to de-stress and clear my mind. It also gives me the exercise, the endorphins I need to feel better that day. You can even Customize your equipment, personalize your bike and gear to match your style and preference. Lots of people do that. And for those inclined, it offers various levels of competition, from casual races to professional cycling. None of that interests me, but that might be just the thing that you desire. You can choose between road bike mountain biking, or even cycling or commuting. For me, it's road biking. Having gone into the mountains, and I definitely don't commute, but it is a very special hobby to me. It's a great way to enhance your mental focus and your coordination. So you need to get out there. Look at certain bikes. You have to make sure that the bike fits you. And that can be a struggle for many of us tall individuals 
like myself, you know, if you get to six foot six, finding the appropriate bicycle is quite a challenge. But you know what? It's there. It's out there. And you can do it. You have to make sure that when you also choose this bicycle, that it also goes with your personal interests and goals. So if you buy a mountain bike, for instance, you might not want to just buy that and, and think you're going to ride on the road with it. That's built for a specific purpose. There's a whole wide range of benefits that may find bicycling appealing to you. So what we suggest is take this one on as a hobby. Think about it. Also, begin like any other hobby. Go out and price the equipment to see if it works with your budget. And then you know what? Take it on. Don't think about it. Don't put it off in the back burner and then 20 years from now. No, you can do it now. And you know what? Those of you who have had this as a hobby can attest to the fact that it's one of the most enjoyable things that you can do. Our sunflower message is entitled, I Could Love You More If I Try, by practicing poetics. Sunlight streams into my window. There's a smile upon my face. My first waking thoughts are of you. How you hold a special place in this heart of mine where few are invited in. Just the sound of your voice can put me in a love state. What we have developed slowly, it had a good foundation, began with friendship first before it turned into elation. Should I let love in or not? It wasn't too tough to decide. You're the one I've waited for. Couldn't love you more if I tried. On Cash App at dollar sign Live Laugh Talk and on Twitter at Live Laugh Talker. Also on Spotify. You can donate to support our podcast. Just press the button if you're listening there on Spotify and send a donation. Each and every donation is appreciated. Also, remember to rate us the highest rating you can give on your podcast platform. Tell your friends, family, and colleagues about us. We really appreciate the help of getting the word out there. Feel free to use social media. As a matter of fact, go on to Live Laugh Talk social media, which is Live Laugh Talk on every platform except for Twitter, is Live Laugh Talker. Make sure that you go on and check out the video. Every episode has a video attached to it. So tell others. And that's a way to also send the information to those who follow you right there on social media. This is James and Georgia Graham's baby boy signing off. And as you know, I can't wait to talk with you again soon.